0: I don't know about you but a few a few weeks ago we we have in our family have th- our three children so if you don't know that about me my name's Eric my wife Amanda and then we have um, three children uh, and then, a part of our family devotions uh, that we have we 've been looking at guarding our heart and one of the other night, the questions we were asking was about fear and like how fear can come into our hearts, and we talked about the, the promise of god 's presence with you. but I was as an illustration, I was asking like questions like what are some of the fears that you have? What are some of those things that you struggle with and I would even ask you that like what are some of the fears uh, that kind of captivate your heart that you, that keep you up at Night. What are some things that maybe keep you and they're like it brings anxiety potentially? I was telling our boys and Grace and our family. um, I was telling them when I was younger, when I was close to their age, I was terrified. Uh, I know I didn't look like I'm like man. I'm a I'm a I'm a boy. I'm like a sports guy. I I love sports. Like I feel like I'm tough. All those kind of things. Played football, but whatever. At nighttime, it wasn't necessarily the darkness, but the quietness of night allowed my mind to go to places that would lead me to fear. And a lot of that fear was, and for me, was, am I saved? Am I a part of God's family? I grew up in this, in this home that was full of church. We went to church all the time. We, I, mean, I, was, uh, I remember when I served as a youth pastor uh, a couple churches ago before we planted Redeemer. Uh, One of the ladies at that church that was still serving, she's like, I remember holding you when you were an infant in the nursery. And so like literally I grew up in the church, if you could say. I had heard about Jesus. I'd heard about heaven. I'd heard about hell. I'd heard about sin and all these things. And to be honest, they all kind of freaked me out. I would lay at night and be worried. I had heard about the rapture, that Jesus is going to come back for his bride. And so I, would, I was telling our boys, I would sometimes, when it was really, really quiet in our house, be like, and I couldn't find mom or dad. I'm like, oh no, have I been left behind? I would be terrified. I would be like, am I like, did I do something wrong? I must not have said the right prayer. Did I not do the right thing? And so I would lay at night terrified. And so we had a small little ranch house. My parents still live in the same house. has a small little room, and right outside that room was our laundry area, and it would kind of pile up. It's three men and one <laughs> and my mom in the house. There's three, or not men. I was a little boy. Okay, so two, two boys and my dad. My dad was the man of the house. And then there was my mom. I was not the dad of the house um, or the man of the house. But I was, because I was terrified. And so I would lay at their door. Their door would be shut. And I, if I was thinking about eternity and started thinking about heaven, I started thinking about the like, am I really saved? I don't know. Have I done something wrong? Would God actually love me? Would he forgive me of my sin? And so I would be terrified so much that I would lay, <laughs> I would lay on the dirty clothes. I'd pile up our dirty clothes and use that as a pillow. smelled pretty bad, but I would lay there in front of my parents' door because I was just scared. And I don't know what keeps you up at night or the things that terrify, but that was something for years of my childhood i would lay on that dirty clothes outside my parents door because i was nervous and scared like they're going to be missing or they're going to be gone am i going to be left behind or am i really saved and if and if i were to die what what would happen or if something happens like what's i was so it, it controlled me there for several years And it's led me to our passage for this morning because it's a question I think many people have asked. I have had opportunities to answer this question as students and other people and parents and different ones have asked me this question. And here's the question is, is there something, is there some sin that I can do that God would just never forgive? that God is unwilling to forgive me of? Is there something that I could ever do that God would be like, I can't forgive you for that? Some refer to this as the unpardonable sin. Uh, Jesus in our past is going to refer to this as an eternal sin, where there is no forgiveness. And so I think that's a question that many, I would say even professing followers of Jesus, have asked. Is there something that I can do? That God would say, no, I cannot forgive that. And Jesus is going to answer that in our passage this morning, but it's going to be in this greater context of answering this question as well, is who is the true family of God? Who are a part of God's family? We get this, we, I mean, you probably heard, even as I pray, I say, heavenly father. And you might wonder, why do I talk to God that way? Why do I refer to him as father? Well, for one, we see that in scripture that he is a father to the fatherless. We see that God is referred to as a father. Jesus, the son of God, referred to the father in that way. He would pray. And when he taught us to pray, we looked at that a few weeks ago. He said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we see this familial aspect of God, and as he's a father, and that he is adopting his own people to be a part of his family. He's inviting people to join him in being in his family. So the question is, who is the true family of God? And can anybody be in this family? Is there certain things that I can do that keep me from being in this family? Again, as being a high school pastor, I got to see over years and years of different relationships being so broken uh, between parents and their teenage sons and daughters, where sons and daughters were no longer accepted into their home. Like, you're not accepted here because of your lifestyle or because of the choices you make. You can, and they like, listen, li- literally you've heard this phrase, right? Disown them. Because maybe they, they've just gone too far. Well, the question that we're going to try to answer this morning, and we're letting Mark answer it for us through God's word is, can anyone be a part of this family? Is there something that I can do that's going to keep me from being in this family? So if you have a Bible, I want us to look at this really interesting story. This is one of the benefits of just walking through a book of the Bible, walking through exposition, let's just look at verse after verse after verse, is there's plenty of passages as a pastor myself would gladly skip over and not preach on. And this is one of those passages that's a little bit challenging to hear. And it's also challenging because of the content of it. And it's something that you're not like, you know what, I'm going to have a good sermon series. It's like Easter. Let's get everybody here. Let's preach on this. Probably not something I would choose to preach on, but this is God's Word. And so the great news is that God gives us the text, not a pastor. So listen to God's Word starting in chapter 3, looking at verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So again, we've been seeing this. The crowds are attending to Jesus. They are coming to Jesus. They are like, this, they're, he's this miracle worker. He's a healer. He does these amazing things. Who is this guy? And everyone wants to know, who is this man and what is he like? So the crowds are gathering. And so yet again, we see the crowds gathering in verse 20. So that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He is out of His mind. You see, what we're going to see first and foremost this morning is we're going to see opposition. We're going to see two, a few different oppositions, but the first one we're seeing the opposition from Jesus' own family. There is opposition to Jesus' own family. They are coming, they must have been hearing and they're seeing. I mean, remember, Jesus is. A man as well. He's the God Man. He is born of flesh and blood. We celebrate this at East—I mean, at Christmas. His incarnation, his coming. He had brothers and sisters. He had a mom and a dad. We don't see much of Joseph as he's an adult, so we assume, and most all theologians assume, and pastors uh, assume that Joseph must have died at some point uh, during the years of Jesus being uh, raised and reared in his home in uh, Nazareth. And so here, though, his brothers and sisters and different ones would have been in, around Jesus. They would have seen Jesus. They would have observed Jesus. They would have seen him. You know, Can you imagine growing up in the home and him being your sibling? <laughs> like, Man, I, I, some of you grew up with that, right? Like the goody two-shoes person in your home. You're like, they get away with everything and you're the one. See, the only people that complain about that are the people who are the ones who are always getting in trouble. I feel like my brother always got away with everything and I was always getting in trouble. Um, but can you imagine, though, Jesus never messes up? You know how annoying that would be for you? You're like, you're like, it was Jesus. And you're like, nope, it's not Jesus. He didn't mess. He never messes up. He never makes the wrong statement. He never gets angry. It's like, like, you try to get onto him. You're trying to get under his skin like every sibling does, different rivalries, and Jesus never does. So I'm sure there would have been clues about Jesus, and they're watching him like, he's different. <laughs> but here, all of a sudden, the crowds are enveloping. The crowds are coming, and they think, and here's what we believe about this passage is, they think he's gone crazy. I mean, that's what they say. Listen, look at that again, at, in verse twenty-one. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, "He is out of his mind." You see, he had, Jesus had seemingly gone mad. And he wasn't eating much. He's not working. The crowds were at such a high; he was in danger of being trampled. He, was pull, he is pulled together, we just looked at this last week, he's pulled together like this motley crew of a, of a following. He has these followers, these zealots and these fishermen and then a tax collector of all people. This crazy crew of, of men, these 12 Jewish men are following Jesus and he's building a following and they're like, I think he might have a mistaken identity crisis. Like he thinks he's the Messiah and he's lost his mind. And so the brothers are going to come, and they're trying to, like the word arrest or seize is take him kind of forcefully. like we're going to grab him and we're going to take him home. He's bringing embarrassment and shame to our family. Let's get him out. And so we're already seeing some opposition, even from his own home, not just the scribes, not just the Pharisees, not just the religious, not the Roman Empire, his own family is wondering Has this guy really lost it or what? He's gone crazy. He's delusional. But when you think about it, this is the opinion of many today. You see, Jesus was a good man. People have have no problem with that. Jesus was a good man. He was this good man. He maybe was a great teacher. He was kind. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's friendly. But he might have been a little crazy, might have been a little delusional about who he was, because if he really was the Messiah, well, they wouldn't have put him on a cross and crucified him. So then they start to think, well, maybe he's just this good man who, who was great, but then it's like his life ended short, it was cut short because of some delusion of his own making. You see, this is the view of many people, but to be honest, this is the view of many Christians even today. People look at Christians who are following Jesus, who would sell their homes in America, in a developed country, and leave everything behind to go to another people group where, like Jim Elliott and others, may lose their life for the cause of Christ. We would look at those people, and there's been plenty of people over the years who've looked at them and said they're, they're mad. People said this about John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he's sitting in a prison. They said this about Martin Luther, John Calvin, Augustine, many other all these theologians, all these people, people who had given their life to, to Christ and had lived for him and given, they said, like, listen, I will follow you at whatever cost, sell all my possessions, live for you, live poor, destitute, whatever that means, I will follow you. People look at them and go, I think they've lost it. They're a little crazy. Can you imagine? Maybe you've even had that experience, some of you who do follow Jesus. Your, your own family looks at you and goes, like, why?" Why would you follow this Jesus? Why would you actually read this Bible? Why would you give up your Sunday morning, especially on a rainy Sunday morning when the, you lose an hour of sleep? Why would you be here today? People would look at that and go like, what is wrong with you? Jesus' own family is doing this to Jesus. I want you to hear this real quick. This isn't in my notes, so this is a side note, this a little extra for you this morning. In Hebrews, we get to see how Jesus sympathizes with us. I think sometimes we forget what Jesus, the God of the universe, that he's just kind of supreme. And, and we, he doesn't really understand my challenges and my difficulties. Okay? Did you hear what I was just saying earlier? Jesus, his own father, passed away while he was young. Has he mourned over the loss of a friend, a loved one? A father? Yeah. Did he experience temptation? Yeah. Has he experienced hurt? Abandonment? Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you've been mistreated by a loved one, someone really close to you who's hurt you deeply. Maybe you've experienced abandonment, someone who's rejected you and says, I don't want to be with you anymore. Maybe by family, maybe by a spouse, maybe by a friend. Jesus knows. Here his own family even thinks he's crazy. And they're questioning him. And he's, they're even opposing him in this way. And they're going to seize him. And so the next what we see is the opposition from the religious leaders, the scribes. Listen to what, as the story continues. So his family's trying to get him out of this. They're like, he's embarrassing us. We need to get him out. He's delusional. He's lost his mind. He's mad. And so verse 22, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, and he's going to respond to them in this parable. But first, see this opposition. Here, listen, did you just hear what the scribes are now, they, you know, they've, they've been like, okay, You've been, you've been eating on the Sabbath, and we're coming after you. Like, you, you plucked some grain from the field. We're coming after you. Okay. <laughs> you healed a man of a withered hand who didn't... It was a paralyzed hand. You said, stretch it out, be healed, and it was. You took someone who was sick with an infirmity, and you healed him. You cast out demons, and you did all these things. And they're like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. They're trying to deny his power. They can't deny his power, Right? So what are they going to do? You can't deny His power. You're like, but there are, there's a line of, there's like crowds of people who have been healed. There's crowds of people all around testifying to God's goodness. <laughs> they see His compassion and they can't deny that because they see it. So here's what they're going to do. They're going to turn it. They're like, all right, well, you're, you might have power to do this, but you have the power of Satan, You're you're possessed by a demon, and you're doing your power and your healing and all these things in the power of Satan. You're doing these things in this way. This is their approach now. And so here, listen to Jesus' response as he does it through a parable. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan... I mean, this is an easy response, right? You're like looking for a softball pitch, you know, like put it on a tee. All right, you're going to say, I'm a demon possessed and I'm casting out demons. So here's my response. You like like made it easy for me. He says, look at it again. How can Satan cast out Satan? (laughs) So his first response to them is like, okay, first of all, hold on a second. So you're saying I'm doing this in the power of Satan. I'm demon possessed, but I'm casting out demons? It doesn't make sense. Why would Satan oppose Satan? (laughs) If we're saying this is the satanic realm, and these people are possessed by demonic forces, evil spirits, and Jesus is casting them out in the power of Satan, why would he be opposed to himself? Why would he contradict himself in that way? Why would he fight against himself? He would divide himself, and that's exactly what he says. Look further. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? Verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. I mean, again, simple, right? It's like simple math. You have a divided kingdom, you have a weaker kingdom. <laughs> if you have a, a mole in your crowd and they're deviating from your, from your way of doing things, it's fracturing. They're creating fractures in your kingdom. It's not going to stand because you're fighting against yourselves. And they're blaming Jesus as being th- doing things in the power of Satan. And he's saying a kingdom divided itself cannot stand. Verse 25. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. I mean, same illustration, just doing it through a kingdom and then a house. Verse 26. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Again, he's just belaboring the point. (laughs) Like, Satan, if you're saying, I'm doing this in the power of Satan, and I'm doing this work against Satan by casting out demons, I'm weakening Satan's power over the the world. That doesn't make sense. It would be a kingdom divided against itself. And so look what he says in verse 27. I want you to hear these words. This is such a strong statement that is easily missed. Verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods much as my wife would not want me to give this illustration cuz it probably terrifies her the thought of a robber coming into our house and that things but if someone's coming in to take your stuff and you happen to be home they're going to eliminate the threat. Well, that's a strong word. Shouldn't have said that one. <laughs> they might tie you up. <laughs> they're going to hold you back, right? They're going to, they're gonna, no, maybe not eliminate you, hopefully not, but, um, but they're, they're going to hold the person who's the stronger one in the house. They're going to tie up the people who would oppose them in that moment. You're going to first tie up that person so that you can plunder their house and take their goods and those kind of things. I mean, it's going to have bad dreams today. I know it. <laughs> so sorry. Yep. <laughs> Give me the look already. I can see it. Um, the idea, though, is he's saying this. He's saying, listen, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. I want you to hear in a veiled statement, it's a, it's a veiled statement. Remember, he's speaking in parables, which we're going to learn as we look at the parables over the next few weeks leading up to Easter. We're going to see how God was using, Jesus was using parables to veil to those who were blind to him, but open the eyes of those who were his genuine true followers. And here he's giving a statement, and it's actually a strong statement. Because remember, I mean, who is the God? I mean, this is Scripture speaking. I'm going to tell you. Who is the God of this age? The God of this age is Satan. Satan is the God of this age. God has allowed Satan in his cruelty and in his deception. And his, he's a liar from the beginning, as Scripture also describes him. He's this liar from the beginning. He's a deceiver. He comes to kill. I mean, the Bible tells us he comes to, to kill and destroy he is roaring, like a roaring lion, the Bible describes him as, seeking whom he may devour. This is a strong one. This is the one, the God of this age, who has brought chaos and deception and brokenness in our culture, in our world. We see the effects of sin, and that is exactly what Satan wants to, to see happen in our world. Brokenness, chaos, disruption, broken marriages, broken homes. Divided churches, disunity among people. He loves to see all of those things because he's coming to destroy. But did you just quietly hear what Jesus said? But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. You see what Jesus is saying in a small little way? You can't hardly even see it if you're not looking carefully. He's saying, I'm stronger. I'm the one who's going to come in and I will bind him. I'm going to come in, and that's what exactly what he's saying. I'm doing. I'm not coming as a satanic force, and I'm doing these things in the power of Satan. It, it, that would make no sense. I'm coming, and I'm breaking down what was started way back in the garden in, in Genesis chapter 3. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of mankind. It's parad- I've heard it said this way. It's like paradise lost. Here's paradise, this perfect place God has created. He's created man and woman. He's created all this universe that we have in this beautiful garden. And they could walk with God in the cool of the day because there was nothing in between them and God. There was no sin, perfect, perfection. But what happened? Man and woman sinned against the holy God. And why? Satan comes and he deceives Eve into thinking and questioning God's goodness and his grace and his wisdom. And said, Does is God, did God, this is the question, did God really say? Begins some doubts. All of a sudden Eve thinks, well, maybe God is holding back. Maybe he doesn't have my best interest in mind. And he's keeping me from this fruit, from this tree, because he doesn't want me to be like him. He's keeping it suppression. So she takes and she eats. Immediately her eyes are open. And all of a sudden, the effects of sin and the curse comes. Jesus, God walks and is looking for man. It's not like he literally is looking. God knows everything. We know this from scripture. But as he comes, he, he approaches the man and the woman and he says, What have you done? He knew exactly what they had done, they had sinned. And that began what's called the curse. The damage of sin, all of a sudden we see quickly that damage got really bad, that even in their own home there was murder. A sibling rivalry turned into murder. One brother kills another brother. We see all of a sudden there's going to be pain in childbearing. We're going to see that there's going to be man is going to have to, by the sweat of their brow, going to have to till into work of the fields. All of a sudden there's going to be vines and there's going to be ants and mosquitoes, all these things that we can't stand. All, all the brokenness, the effects of sin, the lying, the deceit, nothing perfect anymore. But in that moment there was a prophecy in chapter 3 verse 15 he said, I will put enmity between you. He's talking directly to Satan. And he speaks to Satan in this way. He says, I'm going to put a curse between you and the woman. And then in this moment, he gives this prophecy of something that he worked all the way. If you're reading your Bible and you're somewhere in the Old Testament and you're like, I don't understand what's going on. All of it is the redemptive story starting at this this very point in Genesis 3. Because it was a promise and it was a prophecy. As referring to Satan, he says, he says, listen, you're going to bruise his heel, this one that's going to be a seed of the woman, Eve. Guess who that seed is going to be? It's going to be Jesus, the Son of God, is going to be this one who's going to get a, a death blow to himself on the cross. He's going to be, but this is the great news of Easter is he's risen from the dead, so it wasn't a death blow, it was a bruising of the heel, if you were. But Jesus said, but then <laughs> a crush his head, talking about Satan. You see, this began this battle, this cosmic battle over the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's Son. You see, and it began a process and a a, a redemptive story of God taking the paradise that was lost and restoring all things that we see in Revelation chapter 22. Listen, this is the story of hope. Hope. This is the story that we're even seeing here. Jesus is saying, I've come to bind the strong man. I've come to bring life, not God, this, this, this kingdom of darkness. No, first, I'm going to bind this strong man. And I'm going to beat this through what these people did not understand, was through suffering. All of this was leading him to a cross. And so Jesus is telling him in this story, like, are you kidding me? No, this is, I don't do these things in the work of Satan. I do this in the power of the Spirit of God because I am God. And they didn't see it. They were opposed to him. And so Jesus then gives a very, very, very strong warning. He says, truly, I say to you, All sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Why? Verse 30 tells us why he says this. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. They were basically attributing the power of God to the power of Satan. They were calling light dark. You see, they they were thinking that Jesus was blaspheming, when in reality, they were blaspheming the Spirit of God. They were attributing the power of God to the power of Satan and darkness. And Jesus gives a strong... But I want you to hear this. He gives a warning Interesting. he doesn't say that they have committed this eternal sin. He's warning them about an eternal sin. And you might be going like, well, why is this? And what does this even mean? You're like, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I remember when I first got into student ministry, I don't know if any of you saw this. This was, most of you, several of you, probably half the crowd, you'd have been like an eight-year-old or something. But, you know, when I, when, I was, when I was about 20 or so, you'd have been 10 or something, a lot of you in here or whatever. But, um, Right when I was first getting into student ministry, I remember this becoming a a thing with YouTube. You might you might have seen it where people were like they'd heard about this, and they're like people that are opposed to God, and so they would they'd get in front of a camera, they would video themselves saying, "I blasphemed the Holy Spirit." They would say these things, trying to say like, "I don't want to be forgiven." I don't want this because I'm opposed to the things of God. And so they were, I mean, I I remember seeing them all the time. It was like when I very first was getting into student ministries, when I was a lot younger. And hearing these things, and and, and so some people, they think that if I just utter and I say, I'm opposed to God, then then I'll never be forgiven. But is that what Jesus is saying in this passage? Look at it again. First, notice some amazing statement that is said right before it. Truly I say to you all, listen to this, circle it in your Bible all sins, and then underline in red and whatever you need to do, will be forgiven the children of man. Like, God will and can forgive all sins. Like, hear that. I think I needed to hear that when I was a little boy, scared to death, and hanging around dirty clothes, going like, Maybe I've done too much wrong. Maybe I didn't say the right words in my prayer trying to put my confession of faith in Christ alone for salvation. Maybe I, and I question those things and I wondered, I, have I committed some sin? First hear that. All sins will be forgiven the children of man. Whatever And whatever blasphemes they utter. You blaspheme God. You mock God, as a teenager, you look and you, you claim, oh, I don't believe in this nonsense. Maybe some of that was some of you when you were younger. You're like, man, no. This is crazy. I look at my, some of my friends who were followers. You called them crazies. You called them radical. You're like weirdos. You, know, you gave them all these names because you're like, what are you doing? And you thought that was ridiculous that you would actually believe in this God. Like, do you really believe Jesus is actually God? Are you kidding me? Can that be forgiven? This passage says, Absolutely. So then what is this blaspheme against the Holy Spirit that never has forgiveness, that is, as Jesus says, is an eternal sin? Because this is an extremely strong warning. But here's how I want to define blasphemy for you this morning. For one is this, blasphemy can be defined as an expression of defiant hostility toward God. Uh, William Lane is the one, uh, in one of his commentaries, one of, actually one of the best top commentaries there is on the book of Mark. He described it as this way, as an expression of defiant hostility toward God. But can that be forgiven? Let's look at Scripture for a second. Let's talk about Scripture really quickly. Paul. Was Paul opposed to Jesus? Yes. Was he chasing after Christians, to murder them, to put them in prison, to silence them. Yes, when he was, his name was Saul. He's a persecutor of Christians. He goes. Can you look at other people who have um, early on, let me, let me tell you this, in this passage the brothers go to seize him because they think their brother is mad, Jesus is mad. Guess who becomes one of the pillars of the church in Jerusalem? Jesus' own brother, James, becomes this leader of the Jerusalem church of God in the book of Acts that we see. Did he deny Jesus in his power in that moment? Absolutely he was. We see that they they think he's crazy. His disciples don't even understand him. Even in the moment of Jesus' death on the cross when he is arrested, where do you find the disciples going? Run in the opposite direction. Remember Peter. Peter denies Christ three times. But we know that Peter comes to follow Jesus and make him known throughout the world. We see that with Paul. Here, Paul is this persecutor of Christians. And what does he become? He becomes probably the greatest missionary who's ever lived. He spread, he's a part of spreading the gospel and planting more churches all over the Europe and the Mediterranean Sea. And all throughout, that gets us the gospel to us in our culture today. Because this man who was opposed to God came to follow God. So yes, first and foremost, it is a hostility toward God. But I like what Walter Wessel, another commentator, commentator said of this and theologian said. He said, surely what Jesus is speaking of here is not an isolated act, but a settled condition of the soul. The result of a long history of repeated and willful acts of sin. And he goes on to say, and he says, and if the person involved cannot be forgiven, it is not so much that God refuses to forgive as it is the sinner refuses to allow him. And here's what I want to tell you is this this morning, I think I have this on the screen, it's on the screen now, is the question is not, will God forgive your sins? We have the answer, God will forgive your sins, and he is capable of forgiving your sins. He's the strong one who comes to, Satan can't be opposed, Satan can be opposed to him, but he has no authority over Jesus. He has no power that can be greater than Jesus. Jesus there's no sin that is greater than Jesus' grace. His grace is always greater. The question is, will you come to God for the forgiveness of your sins? You see, the, the, the person will never get forgiveness. Because they never come to God for forgiveness. And I think this is a strong warning for us as a church. It's a strong warning for those of you who are here this morning. Maybe you've heard the gospel many times. You've heard who Jesus is. And you, and you might be still questioning. I'm, I'm so glad you come. Grateful that you come. But eventually, we have to respond to this Jesus. You've got to answer that question, is Jesus mad or is He actually the Son of God? But hear the grace of it, God forgives sin. It is, in a sense, on us to respond to what Jesus has done. Does he do this through the power of his spirit and opening your eyes to see the beauty of Christ? Absolutely. We need God. This is why I pray often. I don't, but sadly, unbelievably sadly, I don't pray enough. If I believe in the power of God, I need to be seeking his face all the time. And I know I don't. You see, this is the point. These were attributing to Jesus that he was of Satan. They were directly opposing God and his power. And saying that his power was coming from Satan. They were so defiant and so blinded to is right in front of them. He's healing disease. He's fulfilling all these prophecies of old that these scribes should have known. And they look at him and they say, you're crazy. Even his own family thought he's crazy. The scribes think he's crazy. We need to get rid of this guy. He's, he's gaining a following and this is not good for us. And so that leads us to this last section I want us to get through as we finish out and round out Mark chapter 3. And this answers our original question as well, is who can be a part of this family? He says this, and his mother and his brothers came. So notice, I thought this was interesting, his mother. You know, perfect Mary, as some esteem her as. She's not perfect. Was she full of humility, absolutely. We see that. We see her integrity. Of course we do. But she's not perfect. She needed Jesus just like we needed Jesus. And Mary and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. I mean, they're, Again, going. this is a sandwich here. It's a sandwich from the beginning part of our story in verse 20. They went, remember verse 20, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. So they're trying to get him. And so it comes back to that story. And his mother and his brothers, they, they came, and standing outside, they couldn't even get into this room with this crowd, they sent to him and called him. So they're calling him, like, maybe Mary's saying, son, Jesus, come on, come back, let's go home, maybe. The brothers are trying to get him, like, bro, like, let's go, let's get out of here. This, you're embarrassing mom, you're embarrassing us as a family, like, this is, this, you've gone too far, you're too crazy, you're too radical, let's get out of here. They're coming, and they're coming to him. And notice what it says, verse 32, "...and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, "'Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you.'" Look at his answer in verse 33. And he answered them, "'Who are my mother and my brothers?' Notice where he looks, verse 34, "...and looking about at those who sat around him. He said, "'Here are my mother and my brothers.'" wild. His mom, Mother Mary, brothers of Jesus are outside. They're calling for him and they tell him, hey, your mom and your brothers are seeking you. And he says, who are my mom? Who is my mother and my brothers? And looking at them, again, look at verse 34, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brother's. And you're saying, well, who are these people and what makes them to be a part of his family? Look at verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister. You see, those who do the will of God make up the family of God. Now, don't get me wrong here. This is not about works and like, let me do more, I'm gonna do the will of God. What do I gotta do? If you remember, many people, Nicodemus asked him, How can I be born again? How can I be a part of your family? Can I just get kind of pulled in? Do I need to be what what needs to happen? He says you need to be born again. The guy's like, How can I get in my mom's womb again? I can't that's impossible. I'm huge. There's no way. Sorry, there's nothing to repeat. No, nothing. Won't say that again. (laughs) Exactly. And so, Siri sometimes. Um, But when I think of this passage and I think of this question, who's a part of the family of God? And it says, whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and my mother. What does that mean? Because you see, proximity to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you're part of the family. I mean, here's his own literal family, his own immediate family, brothers and mom, and then basically saying like, look, you can't just, because of your proximity, be a part of my family. See, this is a radical obedience to say, your will be done. Remember back to the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What's the opposite of that? The opposite is my kingdom come, my will be done. And guess what? That's what most of us do with our lives. It is my kingdom. Why do you get angry at your spouse because of something? A lot of times it's because they're maybe opposed to your kingdom. You didn't like what they did or you didn't like what they said and it was opposed to your kingdom. Or guess what happens when you get frustrated with the boss? You're like, well, I don't want to do that because I want to do what I want to do. My kingdom comes. Jesus is looking, and guess what these people are doing? They're doing exactly what we should be doing. This is what Martha was doing with Mary when Mary was stressed and serving and all these things. And what is Mary doing? Mary is sitting at the feet, worshiping Jesus. Where are these people? They're surrounding themselves with Jesus, and they're looking to Jesus. These 12 that have followed him and several others gathered in this home, and they're now, have, as we know of the 12, they've left everything and said, I'll follow you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. I will go with you. I'll follow you. Kent Hughes, such a great um, Presbyterian pastor, he's said this, obedience does not originate relationship with God. You see, you can't just be like, oh, I want to be a part of God's family, so what do I need to do? Like, okay, so I'll do God's will. I'll I'll do something about it. No, obedience does not originate relationship with God. Faith does that. When we, put our, when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ, which both of those things, repentance and faith, are an act of belief in God. You turn from your sin because you believe God. And you put your faith in God, so you leave everything behind. You're saying, I'll follow you, God. And he's saying, faith does that. But notice what he says next. But obedience is a sign of it. Let me say that again. Kent Hughes said, Obedience does not originate relationship with God. Faith does that. But obedience is a sign of it. I think I said this maybe last week or two weeks ago. I want you to hear this. We are loved, therefore we obey. Because God loved us, we now can return our love and put our affection toward Him. But we don't do that first. We don't like, let me, let me, let me, I'll do this and then God's going to accept me. No, God has already paid the price for your sin. He has already accomplished what you were incapable of doing. What do we do? We respond with repentance and faith. Listen, I cannot tell you how many times I have heard this phrase, these phrases. I've always been a Christian. I grew up in the church. I was baptized at XYZ Church. Let me give you one more strong warning as I close this morning. 2 Corinthians, the very last time he writes to the book, The Church at Corinth, in the last words of Paul to this church, says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. See, remember this is a warning. Maybe for years you've been opposed to God. God is calling you to himself and you're, yeah, yeah, not yet. Or I'm unwilling to let go of this. I can't give up my family for this. Or I, I can't give up pursuing these things. I don't want to do that yet. Let me heed this warning to you this morning from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves, Paul says, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves? Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. You see, we're called to examine ourselves. See, am I actually in God's kingdom? Am I actually in His family? Because God doesn't want to leave us a mystery that you'll find out when you die or find out when He returns. No, you can have hope and assurance now. The Spirit of God comes and indwells you and it testifies. It's a test, like test, it's a testimony of your genuineness of faith. Like, are you, is there fruit in your life? Are you seeking his kingdom? Have you joined in his mission? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're still kind of like half in and half out, like, no, no, all in or nothing. God is calling you to Himself and inviting you. And listen, the warning is back at our passage of who doesn't ever get forgiveness? The person who doesn't respond and ask for it is the one who never gets repentance. That's the unpardonable sin because guess what? You're never going to be forgiven something you don't ask for forgiveness for. You don't seek God, you won't get God. (laughs) And you'll die apart from Him for all of eternity. Please respond. To him. Let me encourage you. Let the forgiveness of God free you to carry out the mission of God. For those of you that are a follower of Jesus, listen, let that free you. You are forgiven. You're set free from the penalty and the power of sin over your life. You can live for him joyously, and you can radically live for him, and where everyone else looks at you and says, You're weird, you're crazy. Why would you do this? Why would you give up this? Why would you give up this high-paying job to pursue something else? Or why would you sell your home to live in a different area in a part of town that maybe most people would never live in because you're like, I want to reach these people because they need the gospel too. Why would someone do those things? Because they've been forgiven. And they said, okay, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. I'll follow you and I will join you in your mission. I'm going to ask you, Are you giving yourself to the advancement of God's kingdom? Because here's what he says. As we round out chapter three, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I want to ask you, one, as 2 Corinthians 13, 5 was telling us, test yourself. Are you an authentic follower of Jesus? Are you following him? How do you test that? Where's the fruit in your life? Do you find yourself always angry? Do you find yourself impatient? Do you find yourself um, not following the fruit of the Spirit? You're not gentle. You're not kind. You're not loving. Listen, I'm not, we're not saying perfection here. I mean, please don't miss that. I am so imperfect. Just ask my wife. <laughs> she knows really well. My kids could tell you too. Um, those who are closest to me, no. I mean, not, no, there's nothing, no, no near perfection. All I can do is claim Christ. I point to him. He's the perfect one, he's the strong one who has defeated sin and death. He binds the strong man to give us the freedom to live on mission for him. So, for one, if you've never responded in genuine faith, I want to invite you to. I'm going to, I hardly ever do this, but I'm going to do this this morning. I want to invite you to pray with me. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes here for a second. I want to encourage you. Listen, if you're like, I don't know, I, I've, I've, been, I've been pushing back. I've been kind of waiting, and I've been waiting, and I'm waiting. Listen, don't be like these scribes who he's warning. Listen, don't miss out on the kingdom of God and being in the family of God because you've denied the Spirit's work in your life, and you've said no, and you've said no, and said no. You never know when the last time God's going to give you an opportunity to respond to him. This might be that last responsibility or response time for you. But I also don't want to guilt you into anything. Listen, this has got to be a heart attitude. These words that I say will not save you. It comes from your heart. It comes from a heart changed by the gospel, that your eyes are open like we see the disciples, tax collectors, zealots, fishermen, responding. We see, we're going to see this with an adulterous woman. We're going to see all kinds of people who are so seem like such outsiders get to be in his family. And that's the kind of people he's inviting. He's creating a new family. He's called a people to himself, Israel. And then as we're seeing in this new covenant, this new, all people who will follow him can be a part of his family. He will adopt you as sons and daughters in his kingdom. But it comes by repentance and faith in responding to what Jesus has done on the cross by paying the penalty for your sin, dying the death that you deserved. But the beautiful truth is what we're celebrating at Easter season, is that he rose from the dead. He conquered the power He bound up the strong man through his death on a cross. Instead of just binding him up, he bound himself to a cross, a criminal's cross, beaten, mocked, scorned, so that he could offer you forgiveness of your sins. This passage is telling us he will forgive you of all sins. Listen, don't, don't worry about your past, what you've done, how you've rejected God, how you've lived for self, how heartful or harmful you've been or what people have even done to you. Listen, today is the day of repentance and you could put your trust in Him. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me and pray. For those of you who are a follower of Jesus, we pray that God would radically change our hearts and the hearts of people to respond to His call of salvation. All. And so, if this is your heart's cry, if this is what you long to have is a relationship with God, I invite you to pray words like what I'm going to pray now. Encourage you to mean it from your heart. You could say something like this Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, as we're seeing in this book. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died for my sins. And I want to rest my hope of my eternal life. I rest all of my hope in you alone. Father, save my soul. And help me to live for you. Help me to Say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, I put my faith in you alone. Help me to live my life for you. Help me to join you in your mission. God, that we get to be a part of advancing your kingdom. Lord, I just want to thank you for Jesus. So, Father, I pray. I pray for these in this room. Maybe some who are questioning and wondering, am I really a part of this kingdom? Can God really save me? I pray that they will make that assurance today. That they would just nail it down. That you will forgive any person who will come to you by faith. Do what only you can do. God, I thank you that you are our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Lord. Help us to live in light of eternity. For those in this room, I pray that, that are following you already, I pray that we would get serious about following you, and that we'd make you known in this community, and that we would see a great awakening of a gospel awakening of people repenting of sin and putting their faith in Jesus and radically living a life in obedience to you and your word. God, do that through this church, Redeemer Community Church and its people. I thank you that you've brought us together in your sovereignty on this cold early morning because of losing an hour's sleep. I thank you for these families who are here. These are all ordained by you, and so we ask for your help to live in light of uh, eternity. So, Father, we thank you that when we cry out to you, you hear us. We're going to sing a song here in just a second, God, a psalm that is God's word, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, would mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, God, there is mercy and grace. There is forgiveness. So I thank you for that. God, I ask that you would help us to live for your kingdom alone. In Jesus' name, amen.